Every life has a story, and every story is worth sharing. Your story, my story, and our story speak of victory and defeat, joy and sorrow, resilience and vulnerability. They are not just our story. They are Christ's story in us. They are Kingdom Stories from Down Under. Welcome to Kingdom Stories. This is Nathaniel Costilla and tonight I'm privileged to have Nico Oberhose with us. Uh, Nico comes from South Africa. He moved to Australia in 2007. Uh, I've met Nico at a men's prayer at our church and uh, I've also uh, journeyed with him in various circles and networks here in Perth. His story is amazing. He's gone through open cut surgery just recently and he made it through. And there's many, many beautiful aspects of his life that we just can't wait to hear. So, Nico, welcome to Kingdom Stories from Down Under. Now you're in Australia. It's very interesting because South Africa is Down Under as well, and so is Australia. But I don't think they call Australia Down Under, do they? Uh, the South Africa. They don't call South Africa no, Down Under. No. What do they call South Africa? It's just plain South Africa. So, uh, in, in Africa, what, what would they call South Africa? Uh, they call it's again it. just plain South Africa because it's the southern tip of Africa. Okay. And that's why it's. So Australia is down under. So mm-hmm. this kingdom story from down under is also from South Africa. Mm-hmm. Were you born in South Africa? Yep, born and raised. Um, my folk go back many years in the South Africa in the history there. Germans so, or Dutch? Swiss German, from what I understand. Both mum and dad? Um, I don't actually know, but the original, the original uh, um, surname is Swiss German. It okay. actually comes from either German or Swiss, or a combination of both. But they've been uh, three, four generations in oh, South yes. Africa. Oh yes, yeah, okay. yeah, many. Times. So why did people migrate to South Africa from Europe? Why did so many Germans and Dutch migrate? A lot of people, and because it's German, Dutch, French, many others, um, basically because of religious freedom. That a lot of them that. Um, in Europe, there was um, suppression of re- religious freedom, and a lot of them, like for instance, the French Huguenots, moved because of that. Um, okay. wanted, to, wanted to find a place where they can express themselves and live free in, in their religion. So, okay. So, what what do you remember of your childhood years? Ah, I grew up as a as a farm boy. Grew up in a rural sort of environment. What were you cropping? Um, my dad used to do lots of things like um, wheat, peanuts, CERN. It's a, it's a multi, multicultural sort of in, environment okay. that we grew up in. Um, so not nothing specific. So you grew up on a farm? Grew up on a farm. Early mornings, late evenings, hard work, machinery? That sort of thing, yes. Yeah. Um, I've got fond memories of my time spent on a tractor because it, uh, it, it gives you lots of time to reflect and think. Okay. I'm about the things of life, so yeah. Um, so it was a big farm. No, not a not a massive because it's an irrigation scheme that we grew up on. Okay. And um, all the little areas of plots were quite small, twenty four hectares or something like that. Oh, so, still big enough. Yeah. Yeah. And you work with with dad, mum, and dad on the farm. Yes. Yes. And then school, a local community, or you you went to boarding school. No, local community school. My mum. Okay is also a teacher, um, oh, so nice. I, I had the privilege in, what's it, year three, to actually be taught by her, um, so, so... And you were learning Afrikaans there? Was it an Afrikaans area or English? Yes, 
Yeah, the, the area that I grew up in is an Afrikaans-speaking community. Okay. Um, English was more sort of restricted to places like Joburg and um, or Johannesburg, in the, in, especially in Natal, because that's the sort of British outpost okay. in South Africa. All right. Okay, so um, what, what do you remember of the childhood years in the sense of, uh, were your parents uh, believers? Were they Christians? Yes, um, like most South Africans, you sort of grew up in a church environment. Okay. Um, so you go, my, my sort of further most memories was of going to church. So you sort yeah. of grew up in the church already. Okay. So. What church? Is it Lutheran church or evangelical? Um, no, it was Dutch Reform. Dutch it's Reform. more a, a conservative type church. Yeah. Okay. At, at that particular point in time, it's, it's one of the big churches in South Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, subsequently, there was more evangelical churches that came into being. And this was a town or a village? What was it? A small town. Small town. Yeah, a small town. Because the whole irrigation scheme is quite long. And you've okay. got two, two major towns, Hartswater, Jan Kempdorp, and then in between them, smaller sub-centres. And I actually grew up on one of them. Okay. Close to Hartswater, but yeah. Okay. Brothers, sisters? I'm the youngest of four sons. Okay. So, yeah. So with boys around you? Yeah. Good. What sports were you playing as a child? Most of my sports were athletics during the summer months and rugby during the winter months. As you would have it. The main sports, yeah. And did the town have high schools and you you went to high school there or you went to another city? No, no, no. They they had primary schools, high schools. And my whole school education was done from home. Okay. Mm. And then you went to uni. What did, what did you do in your uh, late teens? Um, like all, I think, people who finish year 12, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. So yep. I started off on a career path um, trying to do, uh, what was it, computer science. Okay. And, and that was at uni? It was at uni, but it okay. took me less, less than a year to figure out I was in a computer boffin. So <laughs> eventually... So you changed after one uh, No, I actually finished my the degree that I was busy with, but not my major subjects eventually was um, applied maths and physics. Okay. But realized pretty soon that there's not much that I can do. All so you did applied maths, phys- uh, physics, mm. applied science? Yes. Up to... I finished the degree in that. You wouldn't know this. But that was my first studies as well. I did apply at science, physics, physics and computing. Yeah. You, you got to be crazy to do that degree. <laughs> I had nine, and you probably did the same. I had nine mathematics units in that in the, in that course. Yeah. It was crazy. I mean, we were doing aerodynamics and all sorts of mathematics that mm-hmm. we never used. So at the end of it, there were two choices or three choices. You went into teaching. You went into radiology, radiography, mm-hmm. or you went into aerodynamics mm-hmm. or aeronautic or in, engineering. Or in our case, you'd go to one of the sort of government institutions. Um, as a scientist. As or, a scientist. And, um, and locked in the dungeon figured, for a few years. Yeah, I figured out um, pretty quickly I wasn't brainy enough for that, but it so, wasn't my passion. So you finished your studies, and then what did you do? You went and did the engineering. Yes. Um, after I finished that um, initial degree, okay. I realized that, look, this is not for me. That's not going to work. So um, 
I then changed over to mechanical engineering. And did they give you some exemptions? From? They did. So mm-hmm. eventually I, was, I managed to finish my mechanical degree in another three years. So eventually okay. studied six years in all. Well, that's very interesting because I, I went and did commerce after that, mm-hmm. realizing that I can't get a career out mm-hmm. of applied maths and physics. Mm-hmm. So I went and did my business degree, my commerce degree. Mm-hmm. And again, I, I finished it in two years. But again, I got exemptions for almost a year because of my previous studies. Yeah. That is very interesting. Look, I, I never knew this about you, but <laughs> we've got a lot in common, a lot more in common. Yeah. Okay, so, um, and where, where was the university? The first university was in Bloemfontein, okay. Orange Free State, and then the other one that I went to um, was Potchefstroom University. And Northwest. Currently, yeah, Northwest province. Did my engineering degree there. Okay, mm. wow, wonderful. Um, and uh, when did you meet your wife? Ooh, when I started off in the engineering field. So after you finished? Uh, after I finished, yeah. No, it's actually many years after I finished because after I finished, I sort of took a gap year, but not a There was no army or anything like that? There was still army. When I started studying, Okay. there was still sort of um, conscription, but yeah. that pretty soon fell away. Okay. Um, and by the time I finished finished study, um, there wasn't really any, how can you say, force or, or required conscription. Okay. So um, that was already gone then in the new South Africa. What a relief, eh? Um, I don't know. There's, okay. uh, there's positives and negatives to everything. Sure. It's just that that wasn't my path. It yeah. just didn't cross my path. So um, for a lot of people, it did good, for some not. But, uh, so then you got a job in, uh, in engineering? I did. I had a bursary for my engineering, but um, okay. um, an opportunity came up to go sit on a, as I said, my little gap year. Yep. Sit on a sub-Antarctic island called Marion Island for a, oh. for a year with 10 other guys. Because um, the South African government operates a base on this little sub-Antarctic island. It's about 2,000 k south of Durban. Wow. So that came up as an opportunity um, a year after I finished my studies. Um, wow. That was an experience, awesome experience as well. So what were you doing there? Um, the only position that I could apply for was like a, a weather observer, because not like a, a meteorologist. Yeah. Literally, we just took weather readings and weather data gathered and yeah. transmitted it back to South Africa, where it was putting Process. bigger computers for processing and weather predictions. So, okay. Yeah. But um, it was an awesome year in terms of, I think, a founding year for me in terms of my spiritual growth as well. There's a lot of time on your a lot of A lot of time. And um, I still have very fond memories of that year that we spent on the island cause, because you've, a lot of the time is your own. So I used to... And that's why I've got fond memories of it. Like spend an hour and a half to two hours in the morning and an hour and a half to two hours mm-hmm. in the evening, you know, Bible study and reading and that sort of stuff. And wow. I I miss the time that you know, that's sort a of era where I had the that, maximum growth. That, that that time that I can just sit and read and ponder and pray and journey. So it was cold? Uh were you in indoor most of the time? Most of the time. It's a similar it's a similar sort of latitude as the South Island, south tip of the South Island of New Zealand. 
Okay. So it, it, it is a colder environment. But not snow all the time, no, occasionally? No, no. it's mo- mostly during the winter time, okay. in, the, in the summer now. Any hiking on the island, or was it too small? Mm-mm. No, it's pretty big. It, uh, the island in its circumference is about 85 kilometers. Okay. So it's an old volcanic island, so this is actually pretty, pretty much to see and, and experience in terms of wildlife sights and scenes of okay. old volcanoes and things like that so but tracks lots of stories no, it a, be bit, wild. a bit but it's mostly it's wild wild yeah. do tourists ever go there Mm-mm. no 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 it's a very it's it's basically the people that get sent there um, yeah. on assignment and um, tourists pop up not in our year but some guys maybe on a that's boat boat cruise or something yeah Although you wouldn't find many doing that far south because there's nothing else down there. Okay. And then you came back, obviously, to the mainland and Mm -hmm. carried on. You got a job as a... Engineer again. Engineer. Picked up my engineering career. Yep. Um, Started off in a little town called Sasselberg. Mm -hmm. Um, Eventually moved to Johannesburg because that's where the bigger engineering firms are. And that's where I met my wife at one of the local churches there. Okay. Yeah. That's good that you met at a church, eh? <laughs> well, the place that we attended had a, a group for younger people. Okay. How can you call it? Single, young folk, working individuals. And um, a lot of people found their, their soulmates in, in the that group. Yeah. Wonderful. Which is good. Yeah. yeah. How did you propose to her? Oh, that's a story that I don't want. <laughs> was it that bad or was that good? No, it was. Um, we were actually down in in Cape Town for another wedding, and I remember the one evening we were sitting and having a bit of a chat, and um, I was I was going, and the the way I was talking is as if we married, and she and she looked at me and she said, "But you haven't proposed yet." And I go, "Oh, will you marry me?" And she said, "Yes." Okay, and then I carried on. <laughs> so you didn't uh, have the ring, obviously. No, no, no. That it wasn't. Was, it wasn't the, the times with with n- rings. No, it was later on. It'd be um, officially officially uh, Our sort of when we first started going out to when we got married it was a nine month period. So, okay. Um, I believe you know when for me when God lays somebody on your heart, that's for you. Yeah. Sometimes it takes time for others, but in my instant, in, in my case, it literally took us from start to start to getting married nine months. Wow! So. Beautiful. Yeah. And uh, then you got married in Johannesburg or mm. in back in your hometown? No, 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 in Johannesburg. We, we left. Her family was in Johannesburg. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And then uh, you had children. Yes, children. My son was born in two thousand and two. Okay. And my daughter was born in 2004. All right. Um, so what made you come to Australia? Ooh, we, we basically had no... I, I can remember when my son was born for some reason or another, I had no intention of going anywhere. And it's most probably because of the language thing, especially when he started speaking and obviously Afrikaans. Um, so but you could speak English, right? Yeah, I can. But cause you most could. Yeah, you, you have to for your work. No, no, you do because I mean, in, in work situation, everything is English. And your degree was it in English or in Afrikaans? No, in Afrikaans. Okay. Both, both of them were in oh. Afrikaans. But okay. when when I started working, yeah, everything was in English. Okay, it was funny in the sense is I remember my early years. 
So you studied in Afrikaans and you worked in English. Yeah, but what was what was uh, uh, funny, as I said to me, is, is we'd have in some instances the the meetings in Afrikaans, but write the minutes in English, <laughs> just for record purposes. So, yeah. yeah. Anyway, but um, where were we? So you, uh, we were talking about uh, moving to Australia. Oh, and us, we sort of parked the idea, and I carried on with my career and, and project engineering and project. What was your wife doing? She was a teacher. She taught okay. at um, one of the private schools in Johannesburg. Okay. Um, Zulu of all things, but anyways. Um, but and and when my son was born. The idea, I always, because I worked for an international company in South Africa. Yes. And it was always this glamorous idea of going overseas and working there. And that sort of got canned when my son was born. And then um, it was 2007. I remember the back end of 2006, 2000, beginning of 2007, we renovated the kitchen. So, like, mm, you know, things are tracking along. Yeah. And... Um, Especially Anamia also always said she's not going to go overseas yeah. because she likes um, having help close by, parents close by, yes. to assist with the kids. And um, it was early in 2007, the one day she came up to me and said, don't you think we should just go have a look? And I parked the idea. Yes. Um, and then subsequently in our area, which is a sort of secluded um, area, there was a, a sort of crime wave that went through in several instances of people getting hijacked or held up overnight or things like that started yeah. happening. And um, I remember we sort of had a bit of a discussion and we went one day um, after church and Sunday we said to the in-laws, listen, we don't want you to get upset, but we're planning a trip to Australia just to sort of go have a look and see what's there. There's nothing firm in our minds. Um, we subsequently booked a trip for October 2007. Did they take it well or not so well? Um, it was a bit of a shock to them, yeah. especially, especially mother-in-law. But we sort of said, look, there's nothing. Yeah. And then eventually, it was July. It was July 2007. And the, um, some of our next-door neighbours got hijacked right next to our house. It's literally across the wall. It was a Sunday evening from, you know, we were putting the kids to bed when they got hijacked, um, their parents. And when that happened, oh. we sort of looked at one another and we went, oh, we don't want to be a statistic. No, and, be next. And uh, we started, I started looking at um, opportunities of coming across and so on. Um, and with lots of grace from above, we literally went from uh, July, August, making the decision to me signing a contract at the end of September. We still came across in October. So, so you came with a contract already? Yes. Oh, so wow. uh, there's, It was um, just before the GFC hit in 2008. Yes. Yep. And there was lots of demand for people. Yeah, it was involved, um, yeah. Yeah, and I, I uh, a company um, here in Perth signed up with... Mining. Them. Yeah, in the mining oh, industry, okay. signed yeah. up with them, and they actually moved us across. But, oh, fantastic. But um, as I said, as we literally made, when we made the decision to move in about 2000, uh, July 2007, we literally, from getting the contract, coming here, having, basically formalising things, finding the school for the kids, yeah. to selling the house, and November 
November that year, the house was so packed up, and um, we flew out on 26th of December 2000. Boxing. Yeah. yeah. Flew oh, out seven. and arrived here in 27th. Ready to, to begin your new life. Yeah. And look, at that particular point in time, yes, we did pray about the whole decision and so on. But yeah. it's only in later reflection when you sort of look at it and you see how things progressed and, and walk through that you, you actually see God's hand in all of this because many yeah. things subsequently happen that you sort of go, wow, mm. um, the journey here, the things that's happened here, the people that you meet of course, um, got introduced to the places that God are using you in and so on and you go, Phew, it's Now it's I understand, just, now I see. Yeah. Yeah. Back then it was more... Some decision. of your highlights, uh, spiritual highlights as you uh, on your spiritual journey, some milestones along the path when, when you really had some awakening moments. Mm -hmm. For me, Nathaniel, as is growing up, and a lot of South Africans can identify with this, is, is when you sort of grow up, you grow up in a Christian environment. Sure. And so that's what you are. And I... I call it for the most part cultural Christianity okay. it's the culture that yeah, you yeah. grow up in um, and while I knew that God was part of my life and you know went to church and at university yeah. you know, I was leaders and youth camps and all of that sort of stuff it's only um, especially that year that I spent on Marion it was a sort of watershed moment for me yeah the absolute time that you had of just spending with time um, with God. Um, that followed by a long period of still in the church, active in the church, yep. doing things in the church. And I sort of fast forward to four, uh, four or five years ago, yep. October 2016, when um, Peter Pollock um, spoke at our church at WBC. I was um, the church that I attended back then. Um, I was the men's ministry coordinator back okay. then and I met with Trevor early in the year and, yep. and I had this sort of awesome catch having Peter speak at our, at our yep. men's breakfast um, not realising that God's more, got more in store for yep. me because I can remember and this for me is the, the biggest single watershed moment is in the two weeks leading up to that breakfast yeah, um, where I'd sit on the train because usually with these breakfasts, there's, there's, there's always a song that many months before I'll, I'll know exactly the song that I want to play when we open up yes. the breakfast. Yep. And um, the, the song in this particular case was How Great Thou Art. Yep. But then for me, there's always a specific rendition. Mm -hmm. And I sort of a short list of five that I was listening to. Um, repeatedly to sort of determine which was the one that I wanted to play and yep. I remember I sat in the train as, as I sat and pondered this um, I can only sort of say God pulled up next to me and started reorientating me because as a, as a project manager and so like a handyman I like working with my hands you're always busy with practical stuff yeah. and doing things yeah. and in, in that period that two weeks leading up you know, I'd sit on the train listening to these songs and the tears will just start running down my face and I go what's happening here yeah. it's the foreign thing for me um, and I remember I spoke to Trev, um, Trevor and the sort of lead up they were in Adelaide and he sort of I said to Trevor 
Trevor, I don't know what's happening here. Something funny is happening here, but I'm acting all emotional and sometimes emotionally irrational. And, and um, yeah, and as I said, it's, for me, it was a process where God started reorientating me. And um, the, the breakfast that we had, and Peter subsequently spoke on yeah. the Sunday service as well, Yes, where it just ministered to me that that was said but also just God journeying with me and okay. um, from that is this, there's a couple of key things that came out of out of that and I yep. remember um, a friend asked me to, to give my testimony at birth prayer and I sort of go well I don't really have a testimony because normally the people that give their testimony at birth prayer have got a yeah. massive story of yeah, yeah. whatever you know I don't have that story. I just you have an ongoing story. Um, you are the story. I'm just a, a farm boy from South Africa. But um, the one thing that God made sure I understand was is that the story of salvation, whether it's big, small, or whatever, is your story and it's worth sharing. Absolutely. But when I was pondering on as part of that and the points that I wanted to share. Now God highlighted a couple of things to me and that's forever sort of etched in my mind. And the first thing that that was very clear is I can stop doing now. Because forever, you know, I was busy with church stuff. Performance. Yeah, when there was a this function or a that yeah. function or a, when anybody asked me for something, I'll do something. You yeah. know, I'll, I'll be busy. Um, up to the point where um, my wife Annemie would say to me is, but... Uh, I'm getting to the point of, to put it bluntly, resenting the church because yeah. the church is actually taking you away from me yeah. in the sense of doing things. And um, as I said, is that's one of the points that God really spoke to me and said this, you can stop doing now. And it took me a long time to realize what it means yeah. to stop doing and just being. Mm. And then the other, the other thought, and it's um, in a sentence that's always also been with me ever since is um, God sort of laid on my hand a heart and, and, the, and the sentence goes God is way less concerned about my earthly comfort yeah. than I would like him to be yeah. than what he is about my completeness in him wow and that's that, profound and that, that to me has been you know the stop doing but yeah. and then the, just the completeness in him of actually if God says you can sit, just sit at my feet for the next year. For somebody yeah. who, who's continually busy doing things, it's, yeah. it, was a, it was a bit of a, a profound thought to say, is this, it's all what God asked me to do. I yeah. don't have to do anything. I don't have to perform so I can earn His... Love or... Love or whatever points. the case. Um, yeah. and, and, and ever since that, uh, it's been a watershed moment for me. Um, in my relationship with God and I, I sometimes go why why God did it take 48 years to get to that sort of point can't we <laughs> couldn't Maybe we sort of do track. it first uh, you know a bit yeah. earlier or so on but God's timing is perfect in it all and um, yeah now you you carry on obviously you, you lead the men's prayer mm. every Friday morning mm. when about a dozen men come every Friday morning at 6 a.m. for an hour, an hour and a bit, every Friday morning. Mm. Um, 
how did that begin and how's the Lord leading you through this? Interestingly enough, it also started at the back end of 2016. Okay. And um, there was a couple of folk from the church that I used to go to who attended back then. And, and we had some informal chats with one another. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a general sense of, if I want to use the word disgruntlement with church in general, not yeah. the church that we attended specifically, but just church in general. And I remember yeah. we once agreed that um, well, we'll just get together with a, for a coffee in Westperth. And um, Trevor asked if he can come along. And yeah. So we were five. And we had a bit of a discussion. <clears throat> and what came out of that discussion was is look, let's just get together. We we don't have answers or any whatever. Let's just get together on on a Friday morning. At that point in time, we were going to do it fortnightly. Yeah. Get together at six o'clock because it's early enough that we can do this and still yeah. go and work and so on. Yeah. And we, we got together, it was early January 2017. Okay, and so three years ago, four years ago. Yeah, and, and then started meeting and it took us less than a month to figure out fortnightly is not going to work and we switched to weekly wow and for, for a, <clears throat> a long period we were just the four or five of, of us yeah and then slowly along the journey God started adding people some left some came and um, yeah, at times there's even 20 guys yeah and and that plus always those on zoom as well on various uh, electronic that's it's yeah. just wonderful and and, and to carry on for four years on. And it's an amazing, amazing testimony. Well done. Well, it's nothing that um, I specifically did because from... Well, you from allowed it. You allowed it to, to flow through you. I, 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 I agree, but from, from day one, we said to one another, there is no program here. Yeah. All we want to do is sit... And, and reflect on the word that yeah. God ministered to us. Yes. And that's been the, the cause. Um, I remember there was, um, at one point, one of the gentlemen wanted to, you know, he's also a doer type of person. He sort of goes, so when are we going to do stuff? Yeah. Mm, no, we, we are doing it. Yeah, but it's, this is it. But it's not our mandate to go and do stuff. We're not going to organize a whatever yeah. thing. We are sitting and listening and fellowshipping with one another and with God. And um, for me, it's it's the most amazing thing that every Friday morning we get together. Yeah. And yes, there's a word from whoever. Sometimes we've got a bit of a speaker or, or not. But I almost want to say it's God turns up. Hallelujah. Um, he's there. And, and it's... Um, you've, you've had... You've, participated in some of those meetings yeah. and it's just such an um, awesome glorious thing when the living God is there amongst you and you, you tangibly almost can feel that yeah um, it is beautiful and also mm-hmm. the breakfast that you you guys put up and mm-hmm. obviously the governor prayer breakfast that you play a ma- massive role in uh, Kingsway uh, Christian College as well you're on the board of that mm-hmm. so I think you're you're reaching in the community is very important especially in the Christian circles which is just wonderful to see I want to talk about your um, surgery um, <laughs> not so long ago you you've had open heart surgery How yes did it shock you when you first found out what was going on um, 
I'm, I'm still trying to think whether it actually shocked me, but um, it, it, it came out of the blue. It wasn't, it's not like I had How did they pick it up? Did you feel something? Or no, short there, of breath, there, or? there were no symptoms, no nothing. The, the, Just a routine what, health what happened, check? Now, what happened was, is my wife, some of her tennis friends, their husbands went for similar sort of checks. Okay. And they found issues with them. The one guy had a single bypass and the other guy had stent. And Anami said to me, no, no, no. You know, it's been a while with all this COVID st- stuff. You haven't done a medical checkup for a while. You know, you go see the GP in this part of that. I want you to do this calcium scoring thing that the other guys did. Um, okay. So I did that. And, yeah. Um, I remember I, I went the Friday morning, um, June Luck, one of the um, local clinics here. Yes. And they did their thing and I went home because I took the day off yeah. just just because I can. And I was sitting at home just relaxing and the next thing my phone rang and I saw it's the, the GP's, the practice. And I go, interesting that they should phone me. Anyway, the yes. long and the short was is they found that there was um, severe blockages in three places in the arteries around my heart. How did they pick that up from a blood test? No, they, they actually did what they what they could do is a CAT scan okay. of the heart vessels. They, oh, you've asked for that. Yeah, that, that was the, they, they call it a calcium scoring, but they literally um, um, inject iodine yes. so that they can see the contrast when they okay. do a CAT scan. Yes. Okay. So, so, so you actually had a heart check in a mm-hmm. sense, a proper heart check. Yes. But just a routine heart check. Yes. Okay. It's, it, it's, you can do it with blood tests, but this one is... The doctor suggested, look, just do this because it's it's a lot more clear than yeah. what they can see. So, um, the long and the short of it is, is he immediately referred me to a cardiologist, and um, I was booked into Junilab Hospital that Friday evening to have a a formal angiogram the next morning. Yeah. So the angiogram just confirmed that yes, there were blockages, and no, they can't stent them because some of them sit in awkward places that you can't stent and the end result was that is that they recommended I have a triple bypass um, in order to fix this because otherwise according to them um, you know I could have a heart attack anytime because some of the so that was just fast and uh, within weeks you were on yeah this the surgery didn't you yeah so from there I booked I was referred to a specialist. Yes. I went to see him and we yeah. had the discussion. We looked at the options and said, there's no real option. You know, you have to have the surgery. Um, and it was three weeks, two weeks later that he had an availability on the Monday morning, 12th of October. Yeah. Booked that and off we went. So. What was going through your mind? Um, and again... I think it's lots of grace from above. I never question, even to this day, why me. It was the thing that immediately came to mind was a passage from Isaiah 43, where God spoke to um, Israel and he said to them, you are my chosen um, people. Yeah. And then he, and he goes on and he says to them, he says, but when you go through the fire, I will be with you. When you go through the storms, I will be with yeah. you. And I will take care of you. And um, that's one of many passages in the Bible where God says, look, in this life we will have troubled times. 
Yeah. But he will see us through. So I immediately, that came up to me, and that was my rock, my my anchor of saying is, but God said, we're going to have troubles in our lives in various forms and shapes. Yeah. But he will, <clears throat> he will guide and protect us through all of that. I mean, the risk is quite high, isn't it? There's so many things that can... I mean, they stop the heart, don't they? Physically, they stop yeah, the heart. Yeah, look, if you, if you go ask the heart specialist, then they say the risk of something fatally happen is quite small because it's a routine operation, but it's still a big operation. Yeah. Because they, they do stop your heart, they collapse your lungs, they put you on... Um, life support. Life support and everything. So. Then they cut you open and then they take a vein from your legs. And yep, and so it in the, yeah. to bypass these... Bypass Three these, times? Yeah. Three, so, three arteries. Yeah. Uh, how did your wife and your children take it though? Again, um, my, my wife had a, a stint um, five years ago where she was diagnosed with bowel cancer. It was a, a polyp that they removed that was cancerous. And when they did further test work, they eventually removed about 50% of her colon. Okay. So she, she had another instance of going through major surgery and also um, part of her testimony I remember on the, the day of the surgery she said she she can quite clearly and it's most probably in a dream where she saw an angel standing at the at the top of the bed yes. the theater bed and since then she just had this amazing peace and because of that experience and coupled with my um, peace about the whole thing there was never any um, upsets or anything at home, or ne- none of us were anxious. And the children? No. Um, and again, I say, is, is if if we as the parents aren't anxious, they take the cue from us. Okay. And if we trust the God, and how many children do you have? Two. Boys. Um, Boy and a girl. Boy and a girl. Yeah. Ages? Um, Eighteen and going seventeen for my. My son finished year 12 um, last year. Walking with the Lord, both of them? Yes, but uh, there can be... Challenges. There can be, I think you say, an improvement in all of that. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, coming out of that, and uh, was, is, uh, is there a major shift that has occurred in you spiritually or the, an outlook on life the, after, after surgery? The, the thing for me is Nathaniel. This is Nathaniel. This is... When that happened, and when I, Isaiah 43 is, the other thing as, as well was is that, that I just felt inside of me is, is that I wanted to walk this journey to the glory of God, mm-hmm. whatever I do in it. And, and as this sort of journey progressed, and I remember prior to me going to surgery, if I just look at the number of folk at work and wherever that where they had questions, they yeah. were more anxious than me. Of course. And then you can just testify, but why do you yeah. have peace? It's because God's there. Mm. And and since then and after that, and just through the whole journey of um, the operation and how well it went and the recovery and so on, it's just a testimony to God. Yeah. He, he's in control. And um, Well, yeah. it is amazing. I mean, we're talking four months on now and you're just as healthy as anything basically mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. it's it's just amazing mm-hmm. um, Nico uh, what legacy would you like to leave <laughs> and pass on 
What, what do you it's want a, people a, to remember you by? It's a, it's, a, it's a strange thing when you say one legacy I want to leave. Um, I'll I, leave, I, pass on maybe. Yeah, I don't particularly want to leave anything. Yeah. And the reason when I say that is it's not about me, it's about God. Yeah. And if if you want to call it a legacy is 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 just pointing to him the whole time yeah if people want to know at work wherever is just pointing to him um, as the living god in myself you know as the bible sort of says is all we accomplish we think we are accomplishing things is but we're just the instrument in his hand and he's accomplishing through us that's right. So it's not our legacy, it's his legacy. Yeah. It's him working through us. So from my perspective, I'm not interested in leaving anything behind. Yeah. As long as people point it in the right direction. So you just got to point them towards Christ. Mm. It's a beautiful testimony. Well, Nico, we'll wrap things up. Thank you so much for coming and sharing your story. I mean... This is uh, is quite an undertaking in the sense, you know, you being vulnerable and just opening up and telling us uh, the victories and also the the difficulties of of a life well lived. Well, there's a lot to go. <laughs> we're young. I think we're going to live till a hundred or a bit more. Mm-hmm. I think we need to live till about 120 post post the flood. I think that's that's where it should be not 80 <laughs> and 70 yeah. I know the psalmist did say 80 but I believe before that it was 120 so let's aim for that shall we you've got a good heart now you've got three bypasses plenty of years ahead yes, praise God I'm looking forward to every year that God spares me working for him amen yeah. well uh, it was such an honor to have Nico with us today and to hear his beautiful story um, obviously we've got to stop doing as Nico said, God has made it very clear to him to stop doing and just being and allowing and just working with the Lord, what the Lord is doing, and we just be part of it and do our part in this in this side of eternity. Uh, join us more for, for more stories, Kingdom Stories from Down Under. Uh, please subscribe to, to the channel that you're watching this through or you're listening through, uh, podcast, iTunes, uh, Google wherever wherever you're enjoying this content uh, rate us and share distribute to others as well make sure you tune uh, back here for more kingdom stories from australia my name is nathaniel costilla and i bless you from down under thank you for joining us on kingdom stories from down under We'd love it if you would subscribe, rate and share these stories with your wider community. And remember, every story is worth sharing, including yours.